This is a National Arts Center podcast. Welcome to the We Love Canadian Music Podcast. I'm your host, NAC Presents Executive Producer, Heather Gibson. We Love Canadian Music brings you up-close and personal interviews with Canadian musicians on far-ranging topics from life on the road to the artists they find most inspiring. Join us every two weeks for a new interview. Great. So today I'm sitting with uh, Jim Cuddy and Glenn Milcham from Blue Rodeo. How are you guys doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. Good. Thanks for coming in. You have uh, two sold-out shows coming here tonight and tomorrow. And uh, this is how many years have you guys been playing in Ottawa? Is, it, is this oh, your thirtieth yet? <laughs> uh, well, we probably played here when we first had a record, so that would have been eighty-seven. So we're we're over over thirty years. And so, years, when, well, uh, well, but 87, 87, yeah. right? I guess that's right. 31, 32, 32, 32 yeah. years from 32. the record. Yeah. From the record. Is this what this is going to be? You're yes, just going to contradict probably, me? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing is going to be, you're going to say one thing, yeah. Glenn's going to say no. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. He was there before I was. So, uh, Thanks. let's go way back to the beginning. How did the band get together? Greg and I had been in, uh, New York where we had been pursuing, you know, uh, Music, but also just just the experience of living in New York. And yeah. we came, we got tired of New York and realized it was a bit of a dead end for us. We got tired of the type of music we were doing. We decided that we wanted to do what something that didn't really have a name then, but we what was Roots ultimately right. became Roots. And we came back to Toronto and realized that there was a whole scene of of people doing uh, Lost Highway songs. Uh, you know, people coming out doing rockabilly. And we just formed the band very quickly. We we ran into Cleve Anderson, our original drummer, in a restaurant, groovy restaurant, where he was celebrating the birth of his child. Mm-hmm. And then he brought in Basil. Yeah. And we were living at the house where Bobby Wiseman was staying, and his brother had been a good friend of ours in New York. Right. So almost organically. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I, in such a, <clears throat> in direct contrast to what had happened before, which had, had all been arduous. Right. Right. <laughs> and and uh, unsuccessful. And what, what kind of music was that? Yeah, it was, was sort of, uh, of the, well, at the beginning, we were sort of a, uh, a, a speedy pop band. Right. And then we were in New York. We did we did uh, the music of the times, which was everything. I mean, we did reggae songs. We did ska songs. We did pop. We did <clears throat> new wave. Yeah. So sort of early 80s? 81 to 84. 81, yeah. right. And so when did you come along, Glenn? I joined, uh, I guess I auditioned for the band uh, in December 91. And I kind of, you know, I f- so I really started playing with them then, but I didn't officially become a member till a few months later. Right. But uh, I was initially just sort of hired to play the Lost Together, play on the Lost Together album. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of talk I, that you, I hear of, of when people come and sit and have these conversations with me about how much the music industry's changed. Do you mm. guys feel that way? Has it changed a lot? Or is it sort of one of those things that's just the, the topic du jour? I think it's changed a lot, but having said that, it hasn't changed a lot for me. Yeah. 
but I'm in a unique position where I'm in a, you know, an enduring band that already has an audience. I think it's changed a lot for people that are trying to find new audiences. And, uh, but I know for me, you know, 95% of my income has always come from playing live. And, and now that's more of a reality for everyone. Um, uh, but yeah, it's changed drastically. You know, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to make a living from your recorded output anymore. I think, you know, unless you're selling very large numbers, you know, the numbers you get from streaming are laughable. Right. So, so well, yeah, and, but I mean, and really when you started, there was no such thing as streaming. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> do you, do you think that there's any merit in the conversation that streaming could actually um, replace your recorded, the way you used to sell CDs? <clears throat> it replaces it if you believe that CDs were only, are only promotional and right. that's the way it is now. I think that the problem is so a band like us that's that's older and has, has developed an audience we we have taken we've dragged along old ways with us so our audience does buy CDs and does and is just getting um, you know goes to live concerts now live concerts are way more expensive so there's obviously a way of, of making money but I think the problem is that new bands once you got a foothold in on radio or selling CDs you then had a a, a cash of money that you could come back from your touring, stop, write music, record, and then go out again. Right. And that's gone. So bands have struggled more to, you know, they go on these tours, so there's like, it's such a great thing because of the internet that we are known in Amsterdam, mm. that we're known in Brussels. So they go and do the tours and they come back and they're flat broke. Yeah. And they have to keep going. They just have to keep, keep either keep their secondary jobs or keep touring. Mm-hmm. And, that, I think, creates a dangerous cycle where people will end up feeling like they're on a treadmill and say, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it as a sideline. And that's a dangerous thing. But uh, so I think that a lot of people listening would know that your son is in this business. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you... Two sons. You have two sons. And so is it something that you would encourage kids these days? If, if kids came to you and said, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing, is it still... Is it still something that, that you um, think has a, you know, is it something for a career for most people that want to get into it? Or is it I'm a- not sure that that's the reason to do it. I, mean, I think that you do it because you're compelled to do music. And I think it's a beautiful thing to make music. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's well worth your time and effort to develop your skills. And then beyond that, whatever happens, first of all, there's no way to predict. I mean, since I started 35 years ago, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for me to predict what what it would be like to start now. Mm. I would only be reflecting my own experiences. And uh, as long as people do it for the right reasons, which is to make music mm-hmm. and they can develop an audience, I think good things happen. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there's, it's still obviously still pop- possible to make a career. Mm. And I, I think when we started, when we started, I think, I think now the cycle is complete. That I think when we started, we were as far away from the center as we are now. And, I mean, we just had nothing to do with what was on the radio in 1987. And now we virtually have nothing to do with what's on the radio <laughs> in 2019. Right. So we've come full circle and we've been in and out of that center. Um, but I'm not sure that that matters. Mm. And, Glenn, you're, I, I mentioned her when we were just chatting before. You're doing some work with Aaron Costello. And mm-hmm. so there's an artist, a Canadian artist, who's, who's in many ways starting out. Yeah. Um, and are you finding that sort of struggle with her, that what Jim talks about of having to constantly be on the road and then you're, you know, has that sort of been the experience of what you're, you're living with her? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, well, Aaron works incredibly hard and 
to to try and make it all work does almost everything herself. She has she has a booking agent in the states and a record company in the states, but everything up here is completely done by her. And um, yeah, she's really got to burn the candle at both ends to make it happen. But that's what you got to do, and she has the determination to do it. And she's also incredibly talented, but there's there's so many other factors involved, mm -hmm. luck and, um, you know, you just you just gotta uh, believe in it and 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 keep going. I think people that make the choice, like when you're asking, like if you would advise someone or encourage someone, I think people that decide to do that, it's it doesn't matter what you say. You either you know you do it you do <laughs> yeah. it because you kind of have to. You mm -hmm. know, it's not a very rational choice it's you know i uh, yeah it would be it would be hard for me to say yes you should do this unless i saw someone and i thought oh my god you are absolutely brilliant you should do this sink or swim you know mm -hmm. even if you totally fail and don't get anywhere you should try you know but uh, it really does it comes down to you kind of don't have a choice you know aaron's i think aaron's one of those people for sure yeah and so you said luck how much do you think luck factors into this I mean, there seems to just be That's a, a lot question. of, I mean, you know, we, we do about, in my program, the Canadian program, we do about 100 shows a year, and I probably get four or 500 submissions for that. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's a lot of folks that are starting out and in, in emerging, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I'm listening to four or 500, and, you know, sort of, sometimes you're comparing oranges to oranges. Right. And so is there, and not saying that my role in the industry is to make somebody... Uh, famous or something, but I'm also everyone else is doing the same on my side of the, the right. equation. So, how much do you think is luck that somebody gets sort of through all that mess, all that sort of 500, and becomes one of the 50? That <laughs> I I don't know, but I always think about something Basil said once, which is uh, Basil, our bass player, mm -hmm. which was uh, you have to be good to be lucky, mm -hmm. and so I think that's the main thing. But beyond that, I don't know. Yeah. First of all, you have to be really good, and then then lucky <laughs> you know and i don't know what constitutes luck you know maybe it's a lot of other factors being sexy or right. something you know i don't know yeah uh, well and so do you do you <laughs> agree then it sort of sounds like you don't agree with it there's some people that would say that um what radio is these days you, know, you brought up radio and how different sort of you've come in the circle of things that radio these days that those artists would you say that they're the best that, that are in the industry or the ones who are on radio these days no that's never been the case. Though. No, I don't think that's the case. I think that there's a lot of cookie cutter stuff. You know, somebody gets a, somebody who's talented makes a name for themselves, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to be along those same lines. I'm not sure that everybody listens to radio in the same way that musicians listen to radio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we really listen close and say, "Oh, did you hear that? Those lyrics are bullshit." Yeah. <laughs> and somebody yeah. says, I, I, "I never, I've never heard that. I never, I don't listen to lyrics." Yeah. So I think radio had for, is a different is it has a different function. It's a it's a it's sort of like a light organ. It's just there to make you feel up or make you feel down or make you feel something. And then beyond that, there's music listeners. But uh, usually, but if someone says to me that they don't listen to the lyrics, we no longer we don't have much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard. It's hard to say. I'm, I'm, you know, I sort of give everybody a, a, a free pass. Like however they want to listen to music yeah. is, is okay with me at this point. I mean, you can't be just walking around being scornful of everything, and and yet and yet your opinions don't change. It's not like there's a form of music that comes up and you think, everybody loves this and I think it's crap. And then you listen more and think, I get it now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really change. So we, we all do have our own proclivities when we're, we're listening to music. But I think that what's represented on, on radio is not necessarily what, what, is, what is represented out there in, 
in clubs, in theaters, in uh, uh, at festivals. I mean, I know I live in in uh, Toronto in an area where the Danforth Music Hall is a pretty moderate, good sized, yeah. thousand seat venue, and I would say that. And I don't think that I'm the most hip guy, but I would say I only know 20% of the bands that are playing there. Right. I doubt they're on the radio. I would imagine their streaming successes, their word of mouth, their pitchfork, their, yeah. their you know, but there are buses in front and lineups. And so I think there's a lot more. When we started, I think we had the advantage and disadvantage if you didn't get on, but advantage that if you got on the radio, everyone was listening to that radio. Right. And now that's just not the case. There's a lot that, you know, radio is one of the ways that people discover Man. things. Mm-hmm. So that 80% of the people that are at the, the shows at the Danforth that you would say you don't know, and they're, they're sold and they're full and mm-hmm. Live Nation knows who they are and, and they sell the show or whatever happens. Yeah. I mean, how do you think people are finding out about them these days then? I think it's through I think it's through the internet. I think it's through streaming. I think it's through suggestions. I think it's through Spotify. I think it's through uh, indie radio shows. Yeah. I think it's through podcasts. I do this thing every now and then if I'm feeling a little bit bored with, you know, sitting in my office, feeling a little like I've lost some creativity. And I'll just go in and search for artists who have more than 5 million streams. Oh. And most of them I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, a lot, and that's a lot yeah. of streams. That's yeah. a lot of Like, that you know, just go on YouTube yeah. and find, and I can go down this rabbit hole and be in yeah. there for an hour yeah. and not know any of those artists. And do you and listen to them? Some most of, I'll listen to... Um, all of them for about 45 seconds, if I like them. I'll what do you think more. the percentage of, of likes to dislikes is? For me, personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I actually like a lot of it. I like a lot of music. I mean, it's one of the things that, that when I start into this, uh, sort of my, I'm supposed to be doing a, a whole series on songwriting. And when I got here, it was very specific. Um, a specific kind of songwriting. And I think there's great songwriting in, in all genres. And, you know, that there's, we've gotten into conversations here about that. And, and sometimes, you know, I've, I've had some of my team even sort of make comments about certain genres not having great songwriting. And I just, I don't believe that. And, uh, you know, I think that, sorry? I don't either. I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So you don't think, so when you watch the Grammys and you hear a song that's like, want to dance, want to dance, want to dance, ha, ha, ha. And then you see, and there's 25 songwriters. <laughs> it's, up, it's up for song of the year. It's like, I want to want to want to carnival. I want to want to anything. Really? Yeah. Like it took all of you to make that song? Well, and you wonder, I, actually, I actually wonder how on. they do it. Yeah. How they all got, you know, they're, they're clearly just looking for royalties, I'd say, if there's that many other kind of songs. But, but it's sort of, I'm not, I wouldn't say that there's an artist, you know, where I go, okay, that that's good or that's, you know, not. I have a lot of respect for an artist like Cardi B for other reasons, than, mm-hmm. um, which is mostly for me about her performance and also some of her acts off of stage. And I think she has a, a good understanding of what her role is for sure. particularly young women, which I think is is terrific. Right. But, you know, there's stuff I was listening to. There's she was just of, a name that came to mind. I don't know, but I, I, mean, but I agree I with you. Sometimes her. the songs are like, what's happening her. in this song? Yeah. Not, a, not a lot. But I also, I've had um, Roots folks, Roots artists say to me, you know, oh, so-and-so has gone really pop. You know, and, and she's, the, you know, that now it's just these crap songs. And I look at them and I go, you know, it's just as hard to write a double hook and, you know, and lyrically and a baseline hook and also to write all the chords. Like, if that is just as hard to to do that than it is what she was doing before as a as a hardcore folk yeah. act. And and so I think there's a bit of bias, you know, around people, oh, of have, course. Mm-hmm, people of course. have biases. And, and, um, and I think that there's this thing right now, I've talked about this with a couple artists, uh, there's this thing in the last 10 years, was probably more than that, where somewhere along the line we said that a singer-songwriter has more value than a singer 
or a songwriter. And mm. um, and that there's, I believe there's some terrific artists, um, Canadian artists, who should be just singers and embrace that there are some wonderful songs they could sing and the stuff that they're singing themselves is... And I don't know when, you know, I don't know if that happened in the sort of the Carole King days, the, the Bob Dylan days. It was like Jim, Dylan and the Beatles changed that, I think, made made writing your own songs like a, a measure of your worth. artistic worth. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think they intended to do that, but I think that's what happened. And then, then just, you know, just the singer, the interpreter of the song became less widely regarded. I mean, on the other hand, there's, you know, you got your Tom Jones and people like that, Elvis, and, you know. Yeah. Near Didn't Elvis write his own songs? <laughs> <laughs> he got some of them. Actually, I guess the Colonel. He's, he's, he's always credited. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how he's always That's done. amazing, isn't it? It's amazing yeah. how he sort of that quite out. a writer, that boy. <laughs> yeah, somebody said to me the other day that... Um, that you know they they wanted it was sort of on a little Facebook exchange and that they had realized that Dolly Parton was an okay songwriter <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I said yeah she's okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's a real anomaly yeah but don't you find also that that uh, you know I I guess I've been listening to a lot of the radio and you know CBC has gone a lot of they go a lot of pop around four thirty when I'm listening and then watching the Grammys and blah 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 and then I then I'll just hear about a band like I heard about El Coyote which I guess oh, yeah. people know but I didn't know them before and to me just to my body and my ears such a relief to come back to that music right just beautiful voices really nice instruments yeah. and I think okay in the same way I give everyone credit for you like whatever you like yeah but I have to accept that on myself too yeah that I can only hand uh, three hours of the Grammys I really enjoyed the show but I couldn't do it again so well, there's not enough of that music that means something to me. A band like El Coyote, I saw them last weekend and and uh, in Montreal and and they're sort of I I think they're the kind of band that individually each each of those artists have started to hone their craft. And I think now it'd be really interesting like um and I've done solo shows with with three of the six of them. Um and Katie Moore for instance in Montreal, she's one of those those Montreal anglophones that I think that she's a musician's musician. People know who she is, but this feels like a project, like band that actually might come together for. She just looks really comfortable, and Joe. So she's one of the singers. She's one of the three yeah. singers, and then Joe Grass is. Well, the, we know Joe Grass. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, we play with Joe Grass. It seems to me like if you're a roots artist, Joe's going to be part of your record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost any time I look at Joe Grass, of course. Yeah, yeah. But and he's he, not a writer for them. It's, I thought it was the three girls. That it's wrote. The, I think the three women are writing. And um, the Joe and I didn't know the other two men who, but it's it's a double bass player, Joe and uh, a guitar player, and I didn't know them. The women seem to rotate through the songs, so I didn't talk to them. I only watched about forty five oh. minutes of this, and I don't. So I don't know if the women are writing their own when they. I do know what I just and, I just turned, so the little blurb was that three women get together in some anglophone part of Montreal, yeah. start doing covers, then start realizing they're bringing songs together, get it together, and then I assumed they assembled a band. Yeah. That's what I assumed. I don't know if that's right or not. Well, I, yeah. that's what I'm going to believe until somebody I, I, tells me. I, I, that would make sense because my experience with Katie, for instance, has been that that's what she always does. Mm -hmm. She's sort of that Montreal, um, like I say, musicians, musicians. So she's and she's got all these little bands mm -hmm. and just projects. Well, their voices sound beautiful together. Yeah. yeah, but I. But the point of it was that it was a relief for me to to come back to roots singer songwriter. Yeah, regardless of the, the whatever people think that oh, singer songwriter said more valuable blah 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 for me just always gets me and it's always gotten me since i was 12 yeah and it just that is something that always grabs my attention in my heart is so is it the 
is it the the whole thing or is it the voice? Like I'm often just the whole thing. Yeah, I'm oh, often I mean, attracted acoustic to the first to the voice. Is the voice catches me the first time? Typically. Sure, typically. Sure. And but if uh, it, a song starts with an acoustic guitar pick, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm the deer in the headlights. This could be good. <laughs> <laughs> could be. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, so what's next for you guys? Well, tell them what. Tell them what. Tell them all about all the bands you play in. Well, I yeah, I'm playing in quite a few bands these days. What's um, the number? I think it's nine. Nine sort of bands <laughs> that I'm regularly. Just not keeping them busy enough. <laughs> nine bands. Well, no, because, Blue Rodeo is spreading out our yeah. gigs. Like Blue Rodeo is right. doing. I don't know. Started out twenty, now it's thirty, and maybe it's forty gigs a year. Right. So, mm. and they'll be lumped together in twos and threes. Right. So, so that leaves right. lots of time. And mm -hmm. so he just joined eight bands. Well, eight other bands. And that doesn't that doesn't include you solo stuff. You're not doing any solo stuff. I'm doing. I'm not doing any solo gigs. I did a solo recording that I recently that I might release online. That's just because I write songs. Eight I, bands I, is like you put a poster up at the Dakota and said anyone need a drummer. Was it like to have that many bands all of a sudden? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little thing in the bottom. Well, it, it, wasn't, it was kind of all of a sudden. But I just, you know, people, I started playing a regular gig at the Dakota. And, uh, and you know, when people see you playing, then they go like, oh, you're playing. You know, you're playing around. Mm. Are you available? And, and I just sort of... Um, went from there. Yeah, went from there. And I just end up, you know, and most of them, I most of those bands, I'm not the only drummer because rodeo takes precedence over right. all of them. So... You know, if you have a gig booked and suddenly like, I'm sorry, I have to be in Capus Casing with Blue Rodeo right. that night, then they need to find somebody else. But but yeah, just because our schedule opened up and because this is what I do, I just started doing more of it elsewhere. Mm. And yeah. But that's, we're just going to keep plugging away, which I'm thrilled about. We're still, we're still. The rumors are good for going. us. What's that? <laughs> the rumors are breaking up and going, yeah, yeah. Going, going, getting too old are good because it draws out people. I think yeah. it's your the last shot. Yeah, this might be it, kids. Yeah. We're on, not folks. saying that. We've never said anything like that. <laughs> no. So but we're we not know. starting those rumors. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because sometimes I'll get I'll get an agent come to pitch and say to me, "This is the final tour, but you can't say it's that." Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And not not you guys, no. obviously. But right. there was. I have one on my desk right now where I'm like, "Well, it actually would be good for all of us if we said it was the last yeah. one." Yeah. I'm like, these guys are like 80, right? And then she's like, "Oh no, you can't say that." But why? Um, why wouldn't they? Want I don't to say know. It? I don't know what you know. Just you think you kind of you know at some point. Do you, do you think you're gonna do? You, are you gonna play just until you can't? Yeah, it's a. I think so. Yeah. This is a part of you, and it's just what you do, and that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was there was a remember that uh, the super centenary guy, the oldest guy man in Canada, just died, and he, he had, they were talking to his, one of his relatives. They said, "Well, we he you know ten years ago we took him. He was a hundred. We took him to see uh, Tony Bennett, oh, yeah. and Tony Bennett was eighty at the time. Yeah, so you know, I don't know that somehow the bar has gone has now just been lifted. Yeah, yeah. So as long as people can still sing and play, yeah." I mean, look at the Stones, right? They're, yeah, they're not even saying it's their last tour. Gordon Lightfoot is putting out an album. Gordon Lightfoot, yeah. Well, he we, he did. I didn't know that. I no, know he's, he's about he, to. He's about yeah. to. Okay. He's apparently going back in the studio. Wow, at eighty-one. Great. Wow, yeah, I think amazing. He, he's, he's still. Well, I, we saw. I saw his last show. It's different, but it's still great. Yeah. And we saw John Prine. I guess John Prine's not that old, but he certainly has come through a lot of infirmary, and he yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's very still good. Yeah. I don't know. Why not? Yeah. I think we always got into this so that so there was no time limit on it, mm -hmm. and then we'll just let circumstances uh, determine. Yeah, 
And so is it just, uh, is it one of, will you be making more albums? Is it sort of as it happens or do you have a firm plan? Is it still one of those? Oh, no, no firm plan anymore. No. I mean, the firm plan would be just trying to, uh, the, the 40 gigs a year and the spread out is just to preserve uh, everybody's health and Greg's Greg's ears. And and uh, and then we'll, truly we'll just see. I don't know. Just getting to that point was, that was last year's accomplishment. Right. <laughs> and we'll see what this year's accomplishment. Yeah. Well, and I, we're all, like I say, we're all busy. Like I have a solo band that, yeah. that I fill every other minute with. Yeah. So well, and we'll it's one of those things that people don't talk about a lot. I mean, it's interesting to hear you bring up about about his ears or, or you know preserving health that kind of thing. Is that that um, do you find that in the industry that there, there's much attention paid to that of what what this whole gig does to people's health or can do to people's health? Well, we certainly do. We certainly understand. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just the repetitive stress injuries are massive. If you do something mm-hmm. the same for 30 years. Um, in terms of the ears, I think that we're, we've been very cognizant of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg suffered, and that's unfortunate. But we've been very cognizant of it for a long time. And I've certainly, you know, I, I made sure my sons, yeah. I bought them the earphone and the earplugs. Yeah. And so they, they're aware of it, certainly in, in a way we weren't. Mm. But... I don't know that if there's any way of, of avoiding uh, just the, the stress on the body of doing something over, over and over and over, again. And over yeah. again. Yeah. Especially now when we're in a climate where even if you're somewhat successful, you have to tour and tour and tour. Yeah. And so it's it's going to be hard on the body. I know, uh, you know, Aaron has been driving so much her back hurts all the time, you know, because, oh, right. you know, like that's just, that's just. She needs she a self-driving car. She doesn't just chip in. She that seems like the GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I never thought of that. Yeah, just yeah, just just that. Just yeah. like you know, playing a show and then having to get up at nine o'clock in the morning and drive for six or hours oh, or something to the yeah. next gig. Show up, shove some food in your mouth, do sound check. You know, yeah. get ready for the show. Do the show. And do the same thing the next day. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna take a toll. Yeah. But, but so, is there concern in the industry? Not really. But <laughs> yeah. uh, like, well, you know, there's a the, the guy from Colorado who has his own label who started a, a a fund, a mental health fund for the people on his label. You know, mm-hmm. that was yeah. I forget his name, but but I thought that that's a a big step forward. You know, yeah, that's it. Mino, yeah. yes. And uh, yeah, so you know, that, I th- he's a, he's an example of someone who does care, and mm-hmm. uh, and and. And, and, you know, I, I think that'll start to happen. We're going to have to look after our own yeah. a little more. Yeah, I don't know that so much I would say that it's people don't care. It's probably that a lot of people don't understand. Right. Like when you start talking about they just what they see is one night, right? They don't see the, the 40 nights or the 50 nights mm-hmm. or in the case of an emerging band, the 100 nights. And, the, mm. you know, the kind of, I think the audience is just seeing that one thing in sort of a, a capsule or a, a bubble or whatever. But mm-hmm. Anyways, I should probably let you guys go get ready for your show then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much for, for coming in. Pleasure. Nice talking. Yeah. Nice thanks, to talk Ellen. to you. And uh, have a great couple shows. Thank you. Thanks for listening to We Love Canadian Music. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. We hope you'll give NAC Presents a like on Facebook and find us online by searching for NAC Presents.
This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.